You're listening to the Main Street Finance Podcast, where we take the Wall Street bull by the horns to help you achieve your financial goals. Whether it's budgeting, investing, or financial independence, we tackle the big questions in the pursuit of financial literacy. And now, your host... Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Main Street Finance Podcast. I am, of course, Alex, your host, and this week we have a very special episode for you. Today, we are visited by Harlan Akala. Harlan is a certified senior advisor, a certified reverse mortgage professional, and has 20 years of experience in the mortgage industry. Currently, he is the National Reverse Mortgage Director for the Fairway Mortgage Corporation. Now, before we bring him on, Harlan is here to do something that we've never really done here on the podcast. Today, we are going to have the trial of the reverse mortgage. Now, what Harlan has so graciously allowed me to do here is we have set it up to where I am going to be playing the prosecutor. I am going to be taking all these negative feelings that you are probably coming into this episode with, and I'm going to present them to our resident expert here. And we're going to see if Harlan can, you know, dissuade them, if he can... Maybe I'm wrong. Can he prove me wrong? Can he turn me around? On a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being I absolutely hate reverse mortgages and 10 being I love them and would recommend them to everybody, uh, I'm probably at a 4. Now, I want to get that on the record now because I want to see where I'm at by the end of this episode. We'll see if he can turn me around. I've got plenty of stuff prepared in the background. Some of it I haven't prepared him for. Some of it I have given him hints for. So without any further ado, Harlan, welcome to the show. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for the opportunity, Alex, to defend ourselves. Well, I, I don't know if you'll be thanking me by the end of this, but uh, <laughs> but we'll see. So, Harlan, I, again, I know I just said it in the introduction, but I want to thank you again for this because it may come across as, you know, we're just trying to bash you. But I mean, I'm prosecuting this case here, so I kind of got to be the bad guy here. And for the audience out there, I got to admit, when I received an email that said, hey, would you be interested in talking to an expert on reverse mortgages? Uh, I paused. I, I paused and thought about it for a good probably two or three minutes before I responded to that email. And you know what? Bankers get a lot of hate. Reverse mortgages get 10 times that hate. But as someone who has been hated for the industry he's in, I feel like I wanted to give him a shot. So I was emailed this morning saying that we can do this interview later this evening. So I've spent the last several hours reading and watching just about everything I can to get as much information as I can so that I can, you know, Labor Day weekend, I got to grill Harlan here. <laughs> so thank you so much here. This is going to seem possibly that we're kind of going at it and arguing with each other. I mean, maybe. I don't know how this is going to turn out. But I want you all to know we talked about this in advance. There's going to be no hatred coming out of this interview. We're just here having fun. Right, Harlan? <laughs> That's exactly it. We're looking for the facts. Alrighty, so Harlan, before we really come to order, get the trial ready to go, would you like to go a little bit into who you are, your history, and what you do over at Fairway? Well, I'm 61 years old, and the beginning part of my career was actually in the photography business. I didn't get into mortgages until I was in my 40s. And I was a typical follower of uh, the conventional wisdom in money. And I realized that when I was talking to people that some people knew a little bit more than I did. Uh, in fact, in most cases, a lot more than I did. And so I spent a lot of time with people smarter than myself in money, which my wife said was not hard to find. But the, one of the areas that I spent time in 
was specifically because I was already in the mortgage business, I told people specifically, do not get a reverse mortgage. They're a ripoff. They screw the old people and hurt their kids. Stay away from them. So I totally understand any of your listeners and yourself for any skepticism because I was very skeptical. In fact, so skeptical that I would tell people not to get them. And so I spent about the last 18 years after I went to some training classes and talked to people that had done a lot of research and looked for the facts in the reverse mortgage business. I spent about 24 years in regular, uh, both mortgages, but I spent about 24 years overall in the mortgage business. The last 18 years has been specifically in the reverse area. Uh, Most of that time, I spent time at people's uh, kitchen tables, uh, at the conference tables of financial advisors, doing reverse mortgages and what we call originating the mortgages. But the last six years, I've spent almost exclusively training and teaching and speaking primarily to the financial advisor community as to the truth about reverse mortgages and how they can and should be used as part of a comprehensive financial plan from really the beginning until the end. So that has been my mission is to get the facts out there so that people can have a better retirement in the fourth quarter of their life, because obviously I deal primarily with people over the age of 62 and financial advisors that are working with people in retirement or pre-retirement. All righty, Harlan, thank you for that. Now. When we get into this, I want to do it kind of like a court case because that's the gimmick here. We named it the trial of the reverse mortgage. So usually in a trial, the prosecutor goes first and then we have the defense. So I have my list of four of the primary complaints that people have for reverse mortgages. And we're just going to go back and forth through those. And then once I go through my four, Harlan's going to come at me with all the pros, the proper use case and how these things should be used, contrary to what you may or may not have heard on television and or Dave Ramsey. Not to call out any names, Dave Ramsey. So let's go ahead and go with number one. Now, I got to admit, I pulled my punches for this first one, but I think it was, I thought it was interesting. Now, fun fact, to get a reverse mortgage, you are required by the Federal Government Department of Housing and Urban Development to get a counseling session to make sure that you understand what it is you are signing up for. Now, without going into the contents of that session, I just think that of the, what, hundreds or thousands of financial products out there, how many of them require you to go to a session where someone has to explain to you, hey, this is what you're getting into? So I thought that was really strange. So if you wanted to go into that for a minute or two. I will. Realize that we are dealing with a protected class. Some of the people that we work with have uh, declining mental abilities, Alzheimer's is obviously very common amongst people from 60 to 90 years old. And so FHA, Federal Housing Administration, HUD, Housing and Urban Development, decided from the beginning in 1988 that there would be an independent counseling session that the loan originator would not be at. We are glad that that is there. It's an extra bit of work and time factor that's involved but it makes sure that there is not someone that is just simply profiting from the loan doing all of the talking. So someone who is a neutral party who is going to get paid by their counseling session, whether the client does the reverse mortgage or not, is verifying or refuting any of the facts from the originator. So that's probably one of the biggest advantages of the reverse mortgage program is there is a check 
on the originator, which some people refer to as the salesperson, so to speak, that is selling it as compared to the person who's just giving objective facts. We are thankful that that's in place because without that counseling session, that would make it much easier for scam artists who try to use the reverse mortgage incorrectly to take advantage of seniors. Uh, seniors can be some of the most skeptical and yet the most trusting people when they are tricked into doing something. And there are bad actors in every profession. It doesn't matter if you're talking about plumbing. It doesn't matter if you're talking about banking, investments, whatever. There's some bad actors. This is designed to weed out the bad actors and also to make sure that a client is of sound mind and not declining mental health. You know, I'm glad you said that because I started typing that down as soon as you said it, that something I forgot to mention in the beginning is that I will I will grant an acknowledgement here that there are always, no matter what the product is, there is always somebody who's going to turn it into a scam, who's going to try to turn around on somebody there. That exists everywhere. I mean, chances are if there's a way to use a savings account to bleed someone dry out of their money, someone's going to do it. So if you go and you find an article that says, oh, look at this one company that fleeced this one person, try to disassociate and remember that we're talking systemically about reverse mortgages and not what any one or two bad actors may or may not be doing. So what we're going to do for this episode is we're trying to keep this for reverse mortgages as a whole and not any well, Susie May in Wisconsin uh, got fleeced. How do you explain that? Because there's always bad actors out there. So I just wanted to make that clear. And thank you for stating that. Well, thank you for that, because that's I, I wrote a book on reverse mortgages. And one of the chapters in my book is entitled, which happens to be the most read one for some reason. But uh, the title of the chapter is Sex, Drugs and Reverse Mortgages. And that generally gets people's attention when you talk about sex and drugs, along with reverse mortgages. And what the whole premise of the chapter is, is there are things that are done with drugs that can kill you or drugs can save your life. There's a dual use. Obviously, sex can be evil or used incorrectly as well as it can be a wonderful thing. So uh, that's the same thing with reverse mortgages. And, and when Bernie Madoff ripped off all of the people for years and years, they didn't throw out mutual funds and say, OK, we're no longer going to be doing mutual funds because Bernie Madoff didn't use them correctly. And that is the same thing with reverse mortgages. We're not proud of any of the things that have happened by people misusing the product. But we do have to look at what you said systemically throughout the entire product. How many people has this helped? And what most people don't realize is that there's, uh, when the surveys are done, over 90% of people are satisfied or very satisfied with the product. And a scam would not have nearly that number of happy people. Absolutely. Now, I think we've answered that one pretty good. That one was my teeing up, my softball underhanded throw because I just thought that was interesting. When I first came across that, a counseling session, I'm like, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, I, I kind of wish there was a lot more financial products that had that, like like student loans. I swear, I swear, I've, give me 20 seconds and I'll be done with this. But student loans, it is my personal belief that before you sign on the dotted loan for a student loan, you need to sit down with a counselor and that counselor is going to go, okay, you're going for a degree in this. Okay, you're at this school, which over four years, you're going to accumulate this much in student loans. That job, after you graduate, on average, based on statistics in the Bureau of Labor Statistics, will pay this much. Your monthly payment on your student loans will be this much. So let's factor in what your budget might look like after you graduate. Say you make $3,000 a month after you graduate. 
okay, you're going to have a thousand dollar a month student loan payment. With that in mind, can you afford to live? And if that answer is no, you might want to either, you know, apply for more student aid, maybe get a part time job, you know, do something. But personally, I believe you should have a counselor meeting before you sign up for student loans. But complete side note came out of nowhere. I like to throw it out there whenever I can. So let's go on to complaint number two, which I'm going to take a step up. And I'll be honest, this one was kind of at the bottom of my priority list to research compared to the other two that I have. So I wasn't able to get a lot of information on it. But could you go into the effects of a reverse mortgage on Medicare eligibility? Yeah, that's uh, something that is super important. And one of the biggest referral partners that we deal with is elder law attorneys or estate planning attorneys. A house is generally one of the last assets that are saved as people get older. And one of the biggest things that are lost when it comes to long-term care. Properly used, a reverse mortgage is something that can protect the home and allow you to pass more on to your children. And at the same time, even provide you with money. I have a lot of personal knowledge in this case because both of my parents had needs for long-term care. Mom's Alzheimer's got very bad after my dad had a stroke at 86. Both of them needed long-term care for the last two, three years of their life. Uh, they had a reverse mortgage. They used reverse mortgage money instead of trying to qualify for Medicaid. That left us kids with a smaller inheritance, but was able to be less of a problem with the government and also allowed them to stay at home and spend less money instead of going to a, a home and dealing with Medicaid. Now, in addition, a house is a non-countable asset under Medicaid. And we can get into, I have a one hour CE class that we teach for attorneys on this specific topic. And so it's a huge topic and I'm gonna condense it down in a very few uh, set of words. But what the deal is, is that a house is a non-countable asset but cash is a countable asset. So to pull money out of a reverse mortgage and put it into a savings account when you're trying to qualify for Medicaid is downright foolish. And any reverse mortgage loan officer that doesn't understand that shouldn't even be in the business. To set up a line of credit so that a person has access to that money, like my parents, they, if, it would have, if their situation would have continued longer, they would have been able to easily qualify for Medicaid, even if we didn't use all of the money in their house. But the fact is, is that as long as I don't pull money out and park it in cash, I am better off, especially for the spouse who is the community spouse who is still left in the home, to be able to draw money out to take care of his or her expenses while the other person is institutionalized is an absolute lifesaver for the spouse that's left behind. So anybody that cannot qualify for Medicaid because of a reverse mortgage simply has it set up the wrong way. And they have a loan officer that doesn't know what they're doing, or they have an attorney that doesn't understand what they're doing. So it is actually a benefit to manage long-term care and Medicaid eligibility by using the reverse mortgage strategically to make money available for the community spouse who's left behind. Okay, let me see if I can't make a metaphor there to make it a little bit more relatable for a younger audience. So Medicare, much like student financial aid, is need-based, meaning that if you've got $200,000 sitting in a checking account, 
you're probably not going to qualify for federal government aid to help pay for your college. Same thing for Medicare. If you've got $200,000 sitting in cash and you're trying to apply for need-based aid, they're going to look at $200,000 in cash and say, hey, you don't need this. Even though it's loan proceeds, they look at that cash and say, oh, you don't need this. So what Harlan's saying is that if you get it as a line of credit or like a credit card, it is not counted against you for, you know, is there a need for you to get this Medicare or, you know, are you just trying to get free money? Is, is that a fair comparison? Yes. I just want to clarify one thing. And, the, and this is a big confusion, even among seniors, not amongst younger people. But Medicare is an insurance program and is not needs-based. It's a government insurance program. Medicaid is the program that is designed for poverty-stricken people and people that do not have money. So we want to make sure that we separate those two things out. So everybody is going to get Medicare, even if you're a multimillionaire. However, here's a very important, significant issue. In order to qualify for Medicaid, you have to have virtually no spendable income. So the bottom line is that Medicare does not pay for long-term care. And most children get rather upset when their parents are in a long-term care nursing home and they have that meeting where it has converted from nursing home rehabilitation to regular care and to long-term care that is not rehabilitating, but is simply caring for them when they're not getting better. And I've heard from many children who went to those meetings and say, what's going on? Medicare is not paying for mom and dad's stuff. And they're telling us that now we have to pay for it or mom and dad have to pay for it to the tune of 5,000 or 8,000 or $10,000 a month. That is kind of a rude awakening. And if you're not broke, then you can no longer get any money from Medicare. You've got to spend down to a certain level according to the state rules until the Medicaid will come into play. And that is only when you are broke or look like you're broke. Some people do irrevocable trusts and other things to get around it, but you have to be destitute. You have to have less than $2,000. The spouse typically has to have less than $110,000 in order to qualify for Medicaid. So that is the difference and you are exactly correct. It is needs-based, exactly like student loans. And it's like my son said when he went to college, dad, if you and mom would get a divorce and you would go broke, I would be able to go to college for free. <laughs> and I said, yeah, I'll talk to mom about that and see how it works out. Uh, so uh, yes, Medicaid is needs-based, but the reverse mortgage properly used will be something that actually helps you preserve assets create income that is needed for either the care of the person who is disabled or for the person who's left behind. Gotcha. And thank you for clarifying all that. For some reason in my head, I always get Medicare and Medicaid mixed up when I'm talking. I do it all the time. I, Everyone does. <laughs> I mean, for me, it's like if you name something with the same first letter, like if I've got two coworkers named Andy and Abby, like I'll switch those every time. But anyway, that's just me. Okay, so we got that one out of the way. Thank you so much for that. And now we get to the two serious ones, which are the two that that get a lot of the emphasis. As someone who's spent several hours today doing a bunch of digging, these are the two big ones. So let's go ahead and start with number one. And number one is that you can potentially lose your house with a reverse mortgage. Now, this one, I got to say, in my research, uh, I take this one a lot less seriously. But before I start proving Harlan's case for him, 
let's go ahead and talk about that. The risks with a reverse mortgage of potentially losing your house. Yeah, there's nothing. If I had a dollar for everybody that I've met over the last 18 years and said, I don't want a reverse mortgage because I don't want to lose my house. It is more likely that you're going to lose your house without a reverse mortgage than with one, which is one of the silliest things about reverse mortgages is that it actually protects and allows people to keep their house and stay in their house longer than what they would be able to do otherwise if they don't have a lot of resources because it creates cash out of equity. Now, it is true that you can lose your house with a reverse mortgage. There are very solid rules from the Federal Housing Administration. Remember, this is very strictly regulated. I would say it's the most regulated mortgage product that is out there. So the strict rules are, is the only way that we are allowed to foreclose on a client, and we don't wanna foreclose on a client. Remember, the longer the loan goes on, the more money that we make an interest or our investor makes an interest. So it's not to our benefit to call the loan early. It's an insured loan. So the only way that we can foreclose, and in fact, we're required to foreclose by FHA, is if somebody does not pay their property taxes and their homeowner's insurance. Now, let's think about that for a minute. If you have a forward mortgage, no mortgage at all, or a reverse mortgage, if you don't pay your property taxes, you have a problem with foreclosure. Either either the state's going to take it, the forward mortgage company is going to take it, or the reverse mortgage company. You have to pay your property taxes. And if you don't pay your property taxes, you will be kicked out of the house, either by the county or by us. We hate doing that. And so we do whatever we can to find ways in even setting up payment plans for people to make payments to us after we pay the taxes. So really we can, if somebody refuses to pay their taxes, we keep people in their house longer than that they would be otherwise if they were just dealing with the county. Now, the other way you can lose your house is if you don't live in it. If you abandon the house and you go to a nursing home and you don't do anything with it, the house has to be lived in. It has to be owner occupied. And if you choose to not live in it anymore or let your kids live in it, that's not going to work. So if you move out and let your kids move in, that is a violation of the terms of the loan and we would have to foreclose. The only other way, and this has happened one time in my 18 years where somebody let their house go to rack and ruin because it's required that you maintain the house. And a lot of people say, well, that's terrible. I mean, what are they going to do? Are they going to check whether or not I painted on time and everything else? No, you have to preserve and maintain the house. That is the exact wording in a forward mortgage. It's your obligation to preserve and maintain the house. It's not the bank's requirement. If you have a forward mortgage, traditional mortgage, it's not the bank's requirement to come over and fix your plumbing. It's not the reverse mortgage lender's obligation either. So the fact is, is you have to preserve and maintain the house. You have to pay the property taxes and the homeowner's insurance, and you got to live in the house. That's your only requirements. And if you live in the house until you're 150, you cannot lose the house. In fact, the government legally doesn't allow us to ever foreclose on anyone unless they violated those rules. So if anything, the best way to be able to preserve your house and hang on to your house is to do a reverse mortgage because the federal government will stop us from taking it away. If you don't have a reverse mortgage and you can't pay your property taxes, um, the house is gone. And you can't even do, once you're in foreclosure, you're probably not gonna be able to do any mortgage at all. So the whole argument of you can lose your house is technically true, but it's true in any case where you are not paying your property taxes. They, they say the only thing that's for sure is death and taxes. It's the case with real estate. 
you got to pay your taxes. Absolutely. And guys, I got to I got to talk to you all for just a minute here. And that is that before this interview, before I did a whole lot of research, this was going to be my my bullet in the chamber that was going to end this whole thing, including reverse mortgages. Like, boom, you're going to lose your house. I found some articles that supported that. And then I read them. Like, if you read anything that's not the headlines of 92-year-old Granny Smith loses her house because of a reverse mortgage, that's what all the headlines say. But when you actually read the article, remember, with most reverse mortgages, there are no payments that are being made. Now, what's the problem with not making payments? Well, in a regular mortgage, your payment is split four different ways. You have principal, interest, taxes, and insurance. Now, with most people, you make your one monthly payment, and the bank will automatically put the percentage of each payment towards each of those four things. Now, if you have a reverse mortgage, you're not making monthly payments. And then if you misunderstand that, you might think, oh, no more monthly payments, period. That's correct for two of them, because what the bank is expecting is principal and interest. Well, with a reverse mortgage, there are no principal and interest payments. So you might be thinking, oh, the bank isn't requiring me to make a payment, so I don't have to do anything. Well, you still have home insurance and you still have to pay your county taxes. And if you don't pay those, the county is going to come and take your house. Now, what the bank has to do is they need to foreclose before the county forecloses on you. Because if the county forecloses on you, the bank is going to lose all their money because the county always beats out the bank. So every time you read an article that says XYZ Bank foreclosed on insert senior citizen here because, you know, they were behind on payments, that's because they were behind on their taxes that they owed to the local government. And the local government was probably inching to take the house anyway. The only reason the bank did it and not the government was because the bank is trying to get paid back. Don't get it twisted. If the bank didn't foreclose, you fast forward 30 days, the county was going to foreclose. So a lot of people are blaming the bank, but they're protecting their own back. Like they were going to get foreclosed anyway by the government, but the government isn't taking any of the blame. And, and Alex, take that a little bit further. The bottom line is, is that we're also, this is a government program that is insured by the Federal Housing Administration. We're not only protecting our interests, we have to protect the government's insurance obligation because they're part of the equation also. So they require us to make sure that we're taking care of taxpayers. Absolutely. And I'm going to put a link to it in the description below. But my smoking gun here was an article published by the Washington Post. It came out in about 2017, which is before a lot of reforms and changes were made to how reverse mortgages work. They came out and said that 18% of reverse mortgages that were taken out from 2009 to 2016 are expected to default at some point. Now, 18%, that's almost one in five. However, if you read that entire article and not just the cliff notes, the reason they're defaulting isn't anything with the lender. They're defaulting because the house has fallen apart and they can't afford it, or just the taxes. They're not paying their taxes. They're not paying their insurance which is absolutely horrible. And there's a budgeting crisis and social security. There's a whole lot of other issues here. But as far as who do we assign blame to, the mortgage company is just covering their own behind. Like if you can't afford the couple hundred dollars a month for the taxes, you probably shouldn't be in that house. And I know I'm going to get a lot of flack for that, but you were told no principal and interest, but you still have the taxes and insurance. And hopefully 
they understood that. Now, obviously, I can't speak for every case, but maybe there's some confusion there about no payments, meaning no taxes. But that's that's just not the case. Well, and the other factor is this. We, we, you know, we hear about that all the time, that at one point there were over 12% of mortgages that were in foreclosure back in 2010 after the mortgage crisis. Well, first of all, obviously there was some reform there where this is not, this is not a welfare program. This is a loan program. And people up until 2015 did not have to qualify with credit issues. And so the government allowed us to start qualifying people to make sure that people that were likely not to pay their taxes would not be able to get into the program. And that wasn't very popular because they said, well, you're discriminating against people with bad credit scores or people that didn't pay their taxes. Well, it's a loan program. It's not discriminatory. It's that you don't qualify because you did not pay your taxes for the last two years and you probably won't for the next two years. But here's the other thing. A lot of news media outlets will say that these loans fail. Well, if a loan fails, they equate that with foreclosure. A foreclosure in a reverse mortgage is not a failure of the loan. Sometimes it is done, often it is done at the end. If somebody lives to be 95 or 100 and they owe more than what the house is worth, there's a foreclosure to clear the estate of any debt because there's no, it's a non-recourse loan. And so we can't go after the estate. We can't go after the kids, nor do we want to because we're insured by FHA. So a foreclosure happens as a natural thing at the end to purge the debt. It's not against the kids. It's not against the clients. They're dead. They're gone out of the house. It's not against the estate. It's not against the uh, overall, the trust. It's not against anything that is owned by the original borrower. So sometimes a foreclosure has to take place in order to purge things at the end, which would not normally happen with a regular 30-year mortgage that a 40-year-old would have. The people in your audience as younger people want to know that their parents are not going to leave behind a debt. They're not going to end up with a big problem at the end. I have all kinds of kids that call and say, mom and dad just, you know, they, they just passed away and they had this reverse mortgage and we're worried that we got to pay it back. And now it's a big mess. And oh, we wish they wouldn't have left us with that. And I say, relax. This was all taken care of. It took care of your mom and dad while they were there. And now, yes, you will get less equity, but that's because they spent it. Did they spend money in their savings account? Did they spend money in their IRA account? Yeah. But the fact is, is that they're covered. They were taken care of and they didn't spend as much in some of those other places because they used their house to be able to make sure that they could live a comfortable retirement. So that's where a lot of people think that there is a loss of the house because sometimes they think the kids lose the house. And we can talk about that later. That's another issue. But the fact is, is that sometimes a foreclosure is the proper way to end the process. I lost a dog a little while ago. And I took her into the veterinarian and the veterinarian couldn't fix the dog. And so we put the dog to sleep. Was that a failure of the veterinarian? No, that was a normal process that needed to be done to humanely take care of my pet that I had for 18 years. So sometimes the foreclosure at the end is not a bad thing. It's just what needs to be done to clear all of the debt and make sure that nothing passes to the next generation. Yeah. And that's something to keep in mind, guys. Most, I believe it's all, but I'm going to say most just to cover myself here. Most reverse mortgages are what's known in the lending world as non-recourse meaning that there is nobody and nothing 
for the bank to go after for any deficiency besides the collateral. So if you owe $200,000 on a reverse mortgage, but the house is only worth $150,000, well, the bank cannot go after the surviving spouse, the kids, the estate. The bank can't go after anyone. The only recourse they have is the house itself. They cannot go after anybody. They cannot collect it any other way. They cannot sue you to get that money because it is non-recourse. So for them to get the house, they have to go through the foreclosure process, which is the legal thing they have to do. So that's something I wanted to throw out there that because it's a non-recourse, A, your heirs are safe, and B, you know, banks aren't evil and they're insured. Well, some banks might be evil. I'm not going to comment which ones, but, you know, in general, banking is not evil. Well, the interesting thing of what you just said is that when it comes to non-recourse, non-recourse is a wonderful thing. Sometimes it's done in the commercial world, but the only non-recourse loan in at, that doesn't require payments in the residential world is a reverse mortgage. And all reverse mortgages by law, by federal law, whether they're proprietary or whether they're FHA, have to be non-recourse. So you mentioned the FHA reverse mortgage. All reverse mortgages must be non-recourse to protect the seniors and their children. Well, there we go. I wasn't willing to say all of them, but apparently we are. <laughs> now we got the experts setting me straight here. Okay, all of them are non-recourse, which, by the way, do not go to a bank trying to get a commercial loan and say, hey, so I heard on a podcast that I can get a loan non-recourse. Um, So I'd like to start a small business with a non-recourse loan. We will laugh you out the door. So for those of you that are keeping score at home, those were three of my four cons. Now, we've been going in order of escalation here for how big of a problem I have with reverse mortgages. And honestly, on that last one, I was kind of defending Harlan there a little bit. But the last one I have is that a reverse mortgage has very high fees. Now, remember, it is a mortgage product. So, you know, I'm starting off already with defending you, but I do want to throw a couple things out here so far. Now, again, I feel the need because I've said it twice now. I'm not defending Harlan. Harlan is not the human representation of all reverse mortgages. He's just the expert that came on today. So reverse mortgages, high fees. This is the biggest problem I have because even if you have to get a counseling session, even if, you know, we've just talked about the risk of potentially losing your house and then you have Medicare, even if we talk about all of those, a good product can still be too expensive. So the question here is of value versus cost. How much do you get versus how much are you paying? And in my opinion, these things do have some significantly high fees. Now, I've done a little bit of research. Forgive me, Harlan. I did not write down where I got each of these numbers from because I just closed out all of my browser tabs because <laughs> my computer was running a little slow during this interview. So I have that the average origination fee is around $6,000 for the mortgage. There is a monthly maintenance fee of, I think it said the maximum was $35 per month. So yes, the reverse mortgage, which is advertised as no payments, has a monthly maintenance fee. Sure, it's $35 at most, but for a thing that advertises as no payments, I think it's funny that there's a monthly payment involved. And then also there is mortgage insurance. Now, remember what we said a few minutes ago that the loan is non-recourse. So if the bank ends up losing money because your house isn't worth what the loan of it is, it's insured, well, we've got to pay for that insurance. Now, the average for that insurance, or at least for what I had with my source, which I accidentally, well, no, which I X'd out, 
was 2% of the home value at closing and then half a percent annually based on the outstanding loan amount, which means as the loan goes up, you're going to pay a higher and higher insurance premium every year. So we have that. And then, of course, with a reverse mortgage, you are either getting an upfront amount of money, a big lump sum money at the front, or you're getting monthly payments. Now, with that, you are going to have compound interest working against you because you're not making payments, but you are accruing interest. And then because of that, your loan balance is growing over time. So in my opinion, there's a lot of fees and some some high fees. So I was wondering if you could speak towards that. Well, you mentioned a very important thing, and that was value versus cost. I wouldn't have been in this business for 18 years if the product that we were selling was something that wasn't worth it. I work with a financial advisor in North Carolina, and he tells all of his clients that they should get a reverse mortgage the day they turn 62, no matter how much money they have, just like I will do. And I will pay those fees when I turn 62 next year and do my own reverse mortgage. Why, why would I do that? The comment that he makes to every one of his clients, because one of the first things they say is, I heard that I could lose my house. Then he covers that. No, you won't. Then the second thing they say, well, yeah, but those things are really expensive. And this is what he says. He explains all of the factors that you don't have to make a payment until a year after you're dead. If the balance on the loan is too high, it'll be paid for by FHA mortgage insurance and your kids won't have to pay it. The interest rate is only about two and a half percent. But these loans are not too good to be true because some people say that when they hear about all of those factors. Well, this sounds too good to be true. I've been talking to people and they tell me in the beginning that these loans are too expensive. And when I tell them everything about it, they say, well, this just sounds too good to be true. And I follow it up just like that financial advisor does. These loans are not too good to be true. They're too good to be free. If you weren't paying for this, we could not make these things possible. Would anybody on this call loan money to their own parents, having no idea when they're going to die, with no payments, with no guarantee of what the value of their house is going to be 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years into the future? I've had kids that have come to me that are very wealthy and they'll say, well, I'll just loan the money to my mom and dad. And I'll say, that's great. Because I'll say, you have ridiculously high fees, so I'll just do it. And I'll say, okay, that's fine. But when you do it, you are guaranteed to get a very low return on your money. You're only going to get 25 to 3%. And in addition to that, you are going to have to wait for your money for 10, 20, 30 years. Or do you want to be in a position to be hoping that your parents die so you can get your money back? Or hoping that they have to go to a nursing home and the house gets sold? And every single time that that's come up, they said, you know, I guess the fees aren't that expensive, but let's cover them one by one of what you brought out. First of all, the $6,000 is the highest origination fee, not the average origination fee. In fact, many loans are originated with no origination fee at all. And so the average origination fee is probably closer to, I would guess, somewhere around $1,500. I don't know that for sure, but just in our own personal book of business, I would guess that it would be somewhere around that. But that origination fee is not something that you pay with cash. It's paid for out of future equity of the value of your home. You don't have to write a check for it. So what is that really? My uncle had about $6,000 in closing costs when he closed his loan. He was one of the first clients that I dealt with. And then he died at 94 in 2010 when the value of the house went down. And he was upside down by $30,000. How much did my uncle pay in fees? Nothing, because he was upside down. 
and he never paid any of his fees. He didn't even pay all of his interest that was was accrued. So the fact is, is that it's weird because you're not paying them with cash. You're paying them with equity in your house, which is almost like Bitcoin or something. What is this? It's just equity. It, it's kind of fake money because what is your house going to be worth? Your house might go up by 5% this year or 10% or 2% or whatever. But chances are you are going to be paying for those fees out of future equity. Well, most people argue and say, well, you still got to pay them. Yes, that's correct. Am I willing to give up 2% which is the number that you mentioned, excellent uh, research on that. You have to give up 2% of the value of your house. So if I have a $400,000 house, I've got to give up $8,000 worth of my equity to have access to at least 50% of my equity in cash and be guaranteed that I can live there without ever making a payment. To me, that is a fantastic trade-off. My house could go up or down by 2% within the next couple of months. And so I don't really care about that 2% of equity that I'm giving up because I still have the other 98% either in cash or in actual equity. So is that expensive? Yes, if you're going to use the money for a short period of time. We always tell clients, if you're gonna move within the next couple of years, rule of thumb is three years. If you're gonna move within the next three years, you should not do a reverse mortgage. You should either sell your house and wait, or you should get a forward mortgage, a line of credit that's cheap or free, uh, get something else to bridge the gap until you're going to move into the house where you're really planning on going to stay most of your remaining fourth quarter of your life. So would it be expensive to do a reverse mortgage for a year or two? Yeah, that'd be overkill. That would be like you know going out and buying a car to use for a week. Uh, that'd just be foolish. You, you wouldn't do something like that. That wouldn't be a smart use of your money. We always tell people that you should plan on being in the house for three to five years if you're going to do a reverse mortgage. Otherwise, you don't gain the benefit of it. And so you paid all this money out. Now, let's talk about the interest rate and the mortgage insurance. Right now, the average, because of how low interest rates are, the average reverse mortgage is two and a half percent. Add the half percent mortgage insurance, and that's three percent. I don't care what you want to call it. The money is only costing me 3%. If I want to pull that money out of my IRA, it's going to cost me 6%. So it's cheaper for me to borrow money from my house than it is to take money out of my IRA at four, five, six, seven, eight percent or whatever I'm doing on the other side of the equation. So is it expensive compared to what? Compared to not going on vacation? Compared to not going with my grandkids to, to a vacation or on a Christmas party or uh, to not enjoying life, what compared to what is how expensive it is. So then let's end up with the uh, monthly fees. There is never a monthly payment. When I started in the business, there was a fee anywhere from $25 to $35 that was unpopular and people didn't like it. And so it was eventually eliminated and the interest rate was increased by like 10 basis points that monthly fee no longer exists. We haven't done a loan for like the last 10 years with a monthly fee. And if we did do a loan with a monthly fee, the interest rate would be lower and that would be reflected accordingly and you would never make a payment. So I've had people, my uncle, one of my first loans I originated had a monthly fee, but he never paid it. It was paid at the end with the equity. So that is not something that is due now. So if you really think about it, to access the money in your house is gonna cost you 2% of the value of the house because all of the other costs are normal. There isn't any other cost that is unusual. It's just like a regular forward mortgage. 
that's it's just like a line of credit. You have to pay a certain amount. And lines of credit, our lines of credit are only 3% and are non-recourse and are guaranteed not to go away. A home equity line at the bank is cheaper than ours, but it can be pulled anytime. Wells Fargo just stopped doing, not to mention any names, but they just publicly announced that they're not doing any more lines of credit anywhere in the nation. No lines of credit. Well, what happens to the people that have a line of credit? They were canceled and they went into repayment. So our lines of credit are guaranteed. I'd rather give up 2% of the value of my house. So I'm guaranteed to have access to that money, no matter what, by the federal government, by the rules of FHA for the rest of my life. If I want to pull it out in five years, 10 years, 20 years, whenever I want to access it, that I have access to my money. People will come up to me at and this is probably the best way to explain the cost, because remember, the only cost that is different about a reverse mortgage is not the interest rate. That's typical of any uh, lower rate loan. It's not the annual or the monthly fee because that's out. The mortgage insurance is just really included as part of the interest rate, 3%, two and a half plus half. So the only thing that is different is the upfront mortgage insurance, which is 2% of the value of the house. All the other costs are the same. So if I have to give up 2% of the value of my house, to have access to the other 98%, I'm completely okay with that. Because what would be the cost of not accessing it? People that come up to me at a wedding or a birthday party or a cocktail party, elbow me and say, we don't need you guys anymore. We got our house paid off, it's free and clear. I always say the same thing when people do that and they know I'm in the mortgage business, so they say that often. And I say, wow, I'm sorry to hear that. And they think I'm being a little bit sarcastic or rude. And they say, what do you mean you're sorry to hear that I have my house paid off? I mean, we've been working on it for, for years and it's finally free and clear. I said, because you have 500, your house is worth $500,000. You have $500,000 of useless equity sitting in your house that you have zero access to it that's earning you nothing. It's not gaining you a thing. If you were using that money for life insurance or you're using that money for long-term care insurance or using that money for investing or for fun or for taking care of long-term care or healthcare issues or whatever, you would be far better off. You have no access to that money. When the pandemic hit, and you needed money right now, the only lines of credit that we're paying out is the reverse mortgages. Everything else got frozen. You couldn't even do a cash out refi when the pandemic hit. A lot of our clients needed money when the pandemic hit because they lost their jobs. And that's exactly when they needed money. So to be able to give up 2% of my house so that I can have access to that money inside the house and I can make payments or not make payments, is one of the most prudent financial decisions that anybody can make in the fourth quarter of their lives. And let's take that a step further because many of your listeners are not 62 years old, but we have helped many families to be able to have a larger inheritance, a larger legacy, because mom and dad protected their house, protected their cash flow, protected the equity in their home by making sure that they used the cheapest money and left the more expensive money that was going up faster in the stock market or in other investments behind for their children. So not only were they better off while they were alive, their kids were better off. So a lot of people say, well, that just screws the kids. It might be okay for the old people, but it rips off the kids. No, because the kids are going to get whatever's left. And so if I'm spending my house money, instead of spending my other money or drawing social security too early, my kids are going to be better off. The cost I'm going to lose 2% of the value of my house. Am I okay with that? Are my kids okay with it? 100% because they gain more than they lose. So if I have to give up two bucks in my right pocket, but I'm gaining four bucks in my left pocket, I don't care what the expense is. 
In fact, I'll give up four bucks so I can get eight bucks, or I'll give up eight bucks so I can get 16 bucks and so on. So I have to give up something in order to get the reverse mortgage and get that guarantee and get the coverage of the mortgage insurance premium if I live to be 150. Because that's what the mortgage papers say. Up to 150 years old, I'm guaranteed not to make a payment. So I am going to do that. Now, if we're talking to kids that have wealthy parents, they want to encourage their parents to get this like yesterday because it will save a boatload of taxes for the parents and the kids because a reverse mortgage is a wonderful tool. And we can talk about that in advance uh, sessions down the road. But whether your family is very wealthy or they're not very wealthy, either way, it's going to protect you as the kids. And so the bottom line is, it's kind of funny because people say, well, if my mom and dad get this, the fees are so high and that interest is going to eat up all the money and everything else. Well, what's the alternative? Well, the best thing, I had one parent that just told me last week, I want to give the maximum amount of money to my children. And I don't want to do a reverse mortgage because all those fees, all that interest, my kids are going to get less. And I said, well, then I've got some advice for you. You should die this year. The quicker you die, the better. Because if you want your kids to get the maximum amount of money, real estate is at an all-time high. The stock market is an all-time high. If you keep living, you're going to be using money from somewhere, either your house or your stock market or your savings, and your kids are going to get less money. So the quicker you die, the greater legacy you will leave to your kids. Well, of course, they said, well, that's ridiculous. And I said, well, the point is, is not to leave the most money to your kids. It's to leave the best legacy after you have lived a long time. If your kids want you to die early so they can get money, you should disinherit them. So bottom line is, is that yes, there's an expense and we don't apologize for it one bit. We explain it because if there wasn't an expense, something's wrong with the equation. If I can go out and get a Rolex watch, which I did once on a cruise for 50 bucks, it wasn't a Rolex watch. Okay. So that should make you a little bit suspicious right off the bat because it was just a knockoff that was in some island in the Caribbean. So you get what you pay for. And the reason you pay for this, you should be suspicious. If somebody says, we'll give you a line of credit with no cost, we'll give you a reverse mortgage for free. That isn't the way that it works. So everything that is good costs money and you have to pay for it. And if there's a reason why you're paying for it, you should spend the money. If there's not a reason, like you only need the money for a year or two, you shouldn't touch a reverse mortgage. But if you're going to be in it for the long haul, it is one of the cheapest ways to take care of housing. It will take, take care of a ton of kids situation because the biggest expense in retirement is housing. It's not healthcare. Everybody thinks it's healthcare. That's the last three years of life that healthcare is the most expensive. The biggest expense in retirement for 20, 25 years is housing. If you can control the cost of housing, it makes everything else more bearable and more that you can do better planning to be able to get there. So the bottom line is, is it's expensive, but it's worth it. Okay. Now there are two points of clarification that I'd, I'd like to give here. The first is that you've said, I think three times that if I have to pay 2% of my equity so that I can access 98% of it, it's a good trade. So I'm paraphrasing, but some along those lines. It is my understanding of reverse mortgages that your maximum loan amount, it depends on your age, how much equity you have. I understand that. But grossly, it is my understanding that reverse mortgages, your maximum loan amount, the maximum amount that they'll give you either through the payments or the upfront lump sum 
is something like 40 to 50% of your equity and not the full 100%. Mm-hmm. You're right. Uh, and I should have clarified that more. When I say that I can preserve the other 98%, I should have added, I don't have access to the other 98%. I only, if I've got a $400,000 house, I only have access to about $200,000. However, the other $200,000 is still mine. People say, well, I've got a $400,000 house and you only gave me $200,000. That was a ripoff. You still own the other $200,000 worth of equity. That didn't go away. You just traded $200,000 worth of, of equity for $200,000 worth of cash. However, it's very important to note that if you take out a line of credit, because people say, I'm not going to tell my parents to get a reverse mortgage until they need to. The best time to get a reverse mortgage is the day you turn 62, like I'm going to. Because if you borrow money, when is the best time to borrow money? Everybody knows the best time to borrow money is when it's cheap or when you don't need it. I mean, that's if you ask enough people, that's the most common answer that you're going to come up with. So you borrow money when you don't need it because mom and dad didn't know when dad was going to have a stroke and would need the money for long-term care. It's kind of hard to go out and get a loan when you had a stroke. Uh, So they set up their line of credit years before they ever needed it. Their line of credit started out at $150,000. By the time they needed it, it was worth $300,000 because the line of credit is guaranteed to go up and we give you more and more money every year that is available out of your equity. So we keep giving you more of your equity that's available because you didn't use it yet and you didn't have any interest accrued. So we just give that amount in addition to what it was before. So that's very important to clarify that. You get about 50% when you're 62, about 60% when you're 72, and about 75% when you're 85. So it goes according to age and the maximum amount you can get out of your house, even when you get up into your high 80s, is 70, actually 74% is the number. But all of the rest of the equity still belongs to you or your children, depending upon who's alive at the end. Okay, thank you for that. And actually, what you said there actually perfectly tees up my next thing. So for the audience out there, I had mentioned to Harlan that I have a spreadsheet, but I didn't tell him what it was. So I have a spreadsheet here to give a little bit more teeth to the idea that fees are high. Now, there's one very important piece that's left out, but I'm going to cover that when we get there. So essentially what I've done was I've taken an amortization calculator and I've adjusted it for a reverse mortgage. Now, what I did before this interview was I went to several of the biggest reverse mortgage brokers or reverse mortgage lenders, those big companies, and I used their online calculators just to have some fun math. So what I did was I assumed a $200,000 home and a 70-year-old and that there was no current mortgage on the house. So the information I got was that the loan amount that I would be approved for under those circumstances, obviously I'm not 70, but you know, based on what I put in, the maximum loan amount they'd give me up front would be $107,000. And that interest rate would be about 3.5% I put in just for assuming the mortgage, the insurance, all that good stuff. And then I factored in the additional 2% for the mortgage insurance that would go in on the front end. So I took that and I changed it to not making any payments. So essentially the whole thing is just going to grow. So what I found, remember we have a $200,000 house and an initial loan amount of 110000 which is our one hundred and seven plus the 2% for insurance. After five years, that $110,000 loan goes up to 132000 After 10 years, that $110,000 loan goes to 157000 and then after 15 years, you go from 157 to 187. 
So after 15 years, you come pretty close to 100% of your equity. Now we get to the part that I left out, which I really can't account for, but I'm going to mention it here. So based on my math, around the probably 18, 19 year mark, your loan with the assumptions that I've already mentioned would approximately be equal to what your home value is. Now, the game you're playing and the thing that I left out was home appreciation. So going back to Harlan's example, if you have a $400,000 house, the most they'll let you borrow, say it's $200,000. So you have $200,000 in the loan and you have $200,000 in equity. Now remember, you're not making payments. So you're paying your interest, you're paying your insurance, which is factored in, and that's the mortgage insurance. That is not the home insurance. And then you are also paying for, what was the third thing? The, the half percent, you're paying the half percent of the, the three and a half would include the mortgage insurance, which is a little higher Correct. than what it is now. So remember that your mortgage is going to grow. So initially you've got your $400,000 house, 200,000 in your reverse mortgage, 200,000 in equity. Now, because you're not making payments, all of what we've mentioned is going directly to your loan balance. So you might owe 200,000 year one, year two, it's 205,000, so on and so forth. The game you're playing is that you're hoping that your home value appreciates at the same rate that your loan amount is appreciating. Now, assuming those two are equal, when you finally pass on or sell the house, whatever, you should still have 50% equity in your house. But that's the game, isn't it? It's if you sell your house or pass on, how much has your home appreciated versus how much interest and fees have you accrued on your loan? Yeah, that's what most people look at. But I want to caution you that that is one step thinking because there's really two to three factors that you want to take a look at. So if you go according to the rule of 72s, which a lot of your audience is familiar with, your mortgage balance or your investment balance is going to double based on what the interest rate is. So if the interest rate is 3%, obviously it's going to take 20 years for that mortgage balance to double or 24 years to be exact. But let's just say that it doubles in 15 years and it goes from 100 to 200. One of the things that you said is that you hope that your house appreciates at the same level as what your mortgage balance is appreciating at. If it does, you will end up with more equity at the end. Because if your house goes up by 3%, 200,000 is going to go up by 3%. And so over a period of 15, 20 years, your house is going to be worth 400,000. You're only going to owe 200,000. You're going to have twice as much equity at the end, not the same amount. Because the amount of the house going up is a bigger number than your loan balance because your loan balance only starts at half. So gotcha, if, I see what you're saying. If your house appreciates at one and a half percent, it will always keep pace with a 3% mortgage rate. If your house appreciates at three, uh, it'll always keep pace with a 6% mortgage rate and you'll have exactly the same amount of equity at the end. So that's one thing that most people don't factor in. But here's the other issue. So. I started at 100 grand and now I've got 200,000. So the bank made 100 grand, which is exactly why we do these. We're not hiding this at all. In fact, the very first thing we show a client is a negative amortization schedule. You won't have to go online to try to find it. We show the amortization schedule going up to age 100 and it'll take a $100,000 loan up to 400,000 if you start early enough. But the issue is this, what is the alternative? Your alternative was 
to take $100,000 and pay it off on the house out of your investments. How much did you lose when you lost $100,000 over that 15-year period of time or whatever you figured uh, for the amortization schedule? But what did you gain? Everybody knows that, look at how much I lost. Look at how expensive this was. It cost me $100,000. You didn't have to make a payment for 15 or 20 years. What did you gain in your investment account? What did you gain of being able to go on a Viking River cruise in Europe or help your grandchild go to college or make sure that you, like I'm planning on doing, taking all of my kids and their spouses and my grandkids on vacation at least once every two years. So I can do that because I don't have a house payment. What is that worth? Well, you can't really put a number on that of the enjoyment of hanging out with your family and having a great vacation. So either you have more money in your investments or you have more memories and life returns on investment. So the fact is, is that it's expensive compared to what? You lost 100,000 in your right pocket. What did you gain in your left pocket? And people always forget about that. It's okay, pay off your mortgage. So if you went to any financial advisor, and you're at retirement at 62, and you have a $100,000 IRA, and you still owe $100,000 on your house. How many advisors are gonna tell you to take all the money out of your IRA that's been earning six, eight, 10% and pay the taxes on it and pay off your house? That is only at a 3% rate. None worth our salt. Exactly. So why would we do it a little bit at a time? Whether we bleed to death slowly or all at once, we're still taking all of that money from a more productive asset and putting it into a very low performing asset. If you went to any financial advisor and said, you know, I'm gonna give you some of my money, but I'm gonna hold back $100,000. And I'm gonna put that $100,000 into an illiquid asset earning less than a 3% rate of return. Financial advisors say, are you nuts? <laughs> but many people say it's okay to pay off your house and have a house free and clear. By doing that, I am guaranteed to lose money because I pulled money out of my IRA that's making more money on the other side of the equation, or I'm pulling money out of my vacation money or out of my kid's college education or my grandchildren's college education. So the bottom line is, is yes, I'm going to lose something. But isn't it interesting that when people pull $100,000 out of their IRA, they don't say, I used to have a $200,000 IRA and now I got a $100,000 IRA. I lost 100,000 in my IRA. Well, they didn't lose it, they spent it. But when they take $100,000 out of their house and then they recruit interest, they say, well, I lost $200,000. No, you didn't lose $200,000, you spent $200,000 of your equity. And that's a very different way of thinking. And that's why people hate these because they focus on, well, I'm gonna lose equity. Well, first they say, I'm gonna lose my house. When they realize they're not gonna lose their house, they say, well, yeah, but I'm gonna lose equity. You're not gonna lose equity, you're going to spend equity. And let's not forget, anybody that wants to make a payment, these are optional payment mortgages. We will accept payments every single month. If you want to pay interest only every month, your balance will never exceed $110,000. So if you just pay $3,000 a year, you, you will never see negative amortization on a reverse mortgage. Negative amortization is a choice. It's not a requirement. So you decide when you want to pay. Do you want to pay monthly? Do you want to pay annually? Do you want to pay a year after you're dead? It's up to you. You decide how much equity you're going to have in, in your house, not the bank. So if you think that you should make payments to your house instead of putting money somewhere else, that's up to you. You make that decision, not the bank. You're, you're in complete control. Now, let's ask all of your listeners who are under 30, 40 years old. If I gave you two options, you came in to buy a house from us and I say, 
Alex, I've got two options for you. Option A, traditional 30-year mortgage, your payment is $1,500 a month and you got to pay us 360 months out of the year. But we do have another option for you because we're a really innovative bank and we know that you're thinking about having a family and we know that you need to fix the roof once in a while. And so we're going to give you a loan for not for 30 years, but for the rest of your life. And you decide when you want to make payments. If you make payments, we'll decrease your balance. If you don't make payments, we'll increase your balance and you will owe more at the end. Which option are you going to take? You're going to say, wow, that sounds kind of cool. What's the catch? You're going to want optional payments. Why don't people over 62, which are much more at danger than you or a 30 or 40, 50 year old, why does a 70 year old want to sign up for 30 years of payments when they have a loan that can be optional that will only cost them 2% of the value of their house? That's a cheap price to pay for an optional payment. Most people would pay 2% of their house in a second if they could have an optional payment for the rest of their life. That's what we're offering to people over the age of 62. So in my closing statements on the trial, I would say, would you think it is safer, better, more profitable for a senior to have a required payment or to take a whole bunch of money and dump it into an illiquid asset? Or does it make more sense for them to be in control? They've made payments for the last 40 years. They, they're 62. They earned it. They now have the ability to make optional payments for the rest of their life, and they determine how much equity is in their house and how much money they want to spend. You know, there's a lot of things you just said that really have the hamster wheels in my brain spinning because, in my mind at least, it completely changes the entire equation. If you think about it as is that you can choose to do interest-only payments. You can pay that interest, and then ideally, your home value is growing, and your loan value is not going anywhere. And then if you want to, you can always chip away at it, and then you can get those interest rates fixed, and see, now you've got me going. But take that a little bit further, okay? And this is where it gets into advanced thought process that I hope that will interest you enough to have me come back for the second time, because that's where we get kind of advanced into some of the numbers. So- when you think about it, if you inherited $50,000 from uh, your great uncle that you didn't even know you were getting, would you pay that down on your loan or would you invest it somewhere else? Depends on See, what kind of risk. See, and that's the other thing. Going. It's arbitrage. If your interest rate's 3% and you think you can get 5 or 6% in the market, I mean, mathematically, you're taking that 2% charge that you can make 5% elsewhere. It's like what you said, if you get $2 taken out of your left pocket, but $4 put in your right pocket, do you care? I mean, essentially, that's a good way to say arbitrage. That's what it is. Right. And that's a whole nother factor here. If you consider the arbitrage of 3% mortgage versus 5 6 7% investing, then, I mean, heck, if you invest in the dividend aristocrats that pay out an average of 3% and you're paying 3%, you're breaking even just on the cash. And then you've got the appreciation account on, which, exactly. by the way, I'm glad you mentioned it because that's something I've been meaning to say the last couple times, but I keep forgetting. But um, we will definitely be having Harlan come back to us to have another advanced conversation. Now, Harlan was generous enough before we recorded this interview to send me a copy of his book, as well as another book and a research paper on reverse mortgages. And I had thought to read that before we do this one, but I figured that'd be a little bit too much content for one episode. So Harlan and I are going to conclude the trial here in about another minute or so and go into our conclusion. But 
I definitely want to have him back. So the plan here is I'm going to get those research materials that Harlan so generously sent to me. Thank you again. I'm going to have a chance to read through it, come up with some advanced kind of questions to where we can really get into the nitty gritty here. And then I do very much want to have Harlan come back. So if you guys have questions in the meantime that you have for Harlan, feel free to send me an email. That is MainStreetFinance at gmail.com or you can tweet me at MainStreetMoney and throw in your own voice to the conversation. If you have questions, ideas, strategies that you would like me to add, get it to me. I'll write it down and we'll have it. Harlan, thank you so much for joining us. And look, I said it at the beginning that I was about at a four as far as on the scale of how much I like. I was going to ask you, that's that's very important. Did I move you from a four? I got to get closer to a 10. But <sighs> as long as I moved you over that five hump, that's my main goal. Now, I will tell you, you have got me over a five, but I do want to clarify. So... At the moment, I'm going to say you've got, I don't want to give you a seven. I'm going to say six and a half because here's my thing. Uh, I've You've moved the needle. If we get off the number scale, we've moved the needle from before you and I ever spoke or had any kind of conversation. I was at like a two for reverse mortgages. Then I started doing my research and preparation for this interview. And that got me to the four. And that's where we were at while we were starting. Now that we've had our, what, hour-long conversation so far, now that we've had our conversation and we've gone back and forth and I've thrown some pretty heavy accusations at you which you are that you are very capable of disarming, uh, I got to say six and a half. Now, the reason I'm not higher than a six and a half, and it's going to be something we're going to have to carry over into next time, is alternatives. Because, yes, you can get this reverse mortgage. Yes, you can get a line of credit with the reverse mortgage, but couldn't you do almost exactly the same thing with a normal HELOC? Now, I don't want you to answer that now because that's going to be a whole nother conversation, a whole nother rabbit hole that I really want to get into. But the reason I'm sticking with the 6.5 is because there are other alternatives out there, either borrowing against your HELOC or even borrowing against your hopefully fat investment portfolio. So there are alternatives, and I think that's going to be a big thing of our next conversation. But I will say... You did succeed in that you got me over that five. Well, that's the main goal. And uh, if we can do that in an hour, we'll spend some more time on the rest. And uh, because realize I had to sell my wife on this and she's skeptical. Understand 18 years ago, I was a minus two. I wasn't even a two. I was a minus <laughs> two. And so you're much more open-minded and I applaud you for being open-minded and doing some of the research because the vast majority of people don't. They uh, just... The, the, the most classic thing I've ever run into, which I caution your audience on, is I put out on Facebook once, what do you think about reverse mortgages? And this person responded and they said, I'm an expert at this because I'm a real estate agent <laughs> and I don't know much about reverse mortgages, but all I know for sure is that they're a ripoff. <laughs> so in the same things, I don't know much about them, but I all I know is that they're a ripoff, <laughs> uh, even though he's supposedly an expert. Well, if you don't know much about them, you're obviously not an expert. You're somebody that is very cerebral, facts-based, you ask great questions, and you're open-minded. And that is critical, not only with reverse mortgages, it is in any financial situation. I read a book a number of years ago that's incredibly valuable called Don't Believe Everything You Think. And there's a lot of things that I thought that, was, that were simply wrong. And you're not like that. And that's a very valuable tool that will serve you well very valuable trait that will serve you well through your entire life, not only on reverse mortgages and money, but on just about everything else. 
Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Now, this is normally the time where I give you the opportunity to give us a mic drop statement, a final thing you'd like to leave us with, but you also eloquently left us with a closing argument that you did so well as to announce that this is my closing argument and let us know. So we're going to go ahead and skip over that part. Harlan, if my audience wants to know more about you, more about Fairway Mortgage, if they want to get in contact with you, where can they do that? Or even, I forgot to mention at the beginning of the episode, but you said it, you've got a book. I'm going to link that in the description below, but would you go into where my audience can find out more about you or get in contact with you? Well, a couple of places. My direct email is Harlan A, H-A-R-L-A-N-A, at fairwaymc, short for mortgagecorporation.com. Or they can go to our company website, which is home.com, that links to Fairway Reverse, uh, that has a lot of articles and content. It's not just an advertising website, it's, it's content. And I'm not interested in selling books. I'm interested in making sure that we change the way retirement is done in this country. So I make my book available for free to anyone that wants to give it to their parents or their brother or want to read it themselves. And so I make sure that I get those out. So if you have a genuine interest in the topic, uh, please contact me and I'll make sure that we get a book out to you so you can read it and question some of these things yourself. I don't do that for every podcast or every interview that I do, but the type of people that are going to listen to you and the people that are going to tune in to your podcast and the people that are going to listen to you are cerebral and smart about things. They're not just listening to whatever the fad is. So I'd be happy to extend that to your listeners. Especially if they listen this far into the interview and didn't turn us off after 15 minutes. That's right. <laughs> they're they're, they're open-minded if they got this far, Alex. No question about that. Yes, sir. And just to clarify, if they wanted to reach out, that would be your personal email that you listed uh, to try to get a book? That's my business email, harlan a at fairwaymc.com. My personal email is acolafor at gmail.com, but I monitor my work email uh, much more closely. So that's the best one to use. So now that you've said that, do you want me to bleep out your personal email or did you want me to leave that in? No, you can leave it in. It's in my, it's actually in the book. That's oh, well, the one I use for the book. I dig it. I just wanted to make sure I wasn't just uh, loud capping you. <laughs> no, thank you for that. All righty, Harlan. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for being so open-minded. Thank you so much for the materials. Good Lord, I'm thanking you more than I've thanked anyone else. And thank you so much for agreeing to come back for a round two, even though I accused you of throwing seniors out on the street a little bit earlier in the episode. Thank you so much for being a good sport coming on, and we will definitely be seeing you next time. We appreciate that. Thank you very much. I appreciate spending the time with you, and I look forward to the next segment. Alrighty, guys. So you are going to have all kinds of links in the description below, all of his contact stuff, all of his websites, everything he mentioned and everything the two of us referenced throughout the interview or the trial, if you are sticking with that theme, will be listed in the description below. Thank you guys so much for listening, and I will see you all next week. Thank you for listening to the Main Street Finance Podcast. Have a question on today's topics or have suggestions for future episodes? Send an email to mainstfinance at gmail.com. Sharing is caring, so if you learned something new and useful today, make sure you share with friends and family. Don't forget to like and subscribe to be notified of new episodes. For demonstrations and more examples, be sure to check out the YouTube channel. We'll see you next time.